Thank you very much. It's great to be uh, speaking to you today. And I want to talk today about how to increase your impact, how to increase your impact. And I'm convinced that if you ask God to speak to you today, he will. And if you respond to his voice, it will have a significant positive impact on your life, actually. But first, uh, because I'm speaking on a gift day, I feel I should own up to the fact that I haven't always enjoyed days like today. I have sat where you sit now and looked around and thought, gift day? I've come on a gift day of all days. What are the odds? How have I found myself here on gift day? And then someone would read out what seemed to me to be an extraordinary figure and I'd kind of lean back in my chair, cross my arms, that's a lot of money. I'm not sure who's going to give that. And I kind of just kind of hold my wallet a little bit closer uh, to me. And I think part of the reason is that uh, I was born and bred in a wonderful town called Luton. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that uh, before. And it's a wonderful town, but we grew up in in quite a rough area and there wasn't a lot of money about uh, when I was growing up. And I was quite conscious of that. And actually, if you've felt like that, you never forget that feeling, actually. And so when I started working, I was pretty convinced that the money I was earning was my money. I'd worked hard for it, I'd earned it, and as far as I was concerned, it was none of the church's business, frankly, what I did with my money. If I wanted financial advice, I'd go to an accountant, not a pastor. And, uh, and, and I thought they should count themselves lucky to get a bit of it every month. But then one day, my pastor in East London announced that we were starting a seven-week sermon series on money. And I was completely and utterly horrified. I just couldn't believe it. I was, like, I, I, I was just furious. I said, of all the things to focus on for seven weeks, I don't have a problem with money. I'm pretty sure no one else has a problem with money. Why don't we talk about something interesting, something life-transforming, like the things Jesus said? Why are we spending seven weeks on money? But you know, I was completely and utterly wrong. So there are 500 verses in the Bible on faith, and faith is central to all we do. There are 500 verses in the Bible on prayer, and prayer is the foundation of everything we build here as a church. Do you know how many verses there are in the Bible about money and possessions? Over 2,350. Jesus talked more about money than he did about sex or heaven or hell. Almost half of the stories Jesus told to communicate deep things about who God is and who we are concern monies and possessions. 16 of the 38 parables. Money and possessions. And it suddenly occurred to me, why wouldn't Jesus' teaching in this area be every bit as liberating, every bit as compelling, every bit as life-transforming as his teaching in every other area. And you know what I realized? Deep down, I was desperate for wisdom on the whole area of money. There were like a thousand messages flying in me every day, adverts, things people said, the culture I was living and working in, the values of my colleagues, all telling me how I should use my money, how I should view my possessions. I had an abundance of information, but what I needed was insight. I needed wisdom. 
And what I found over the course of those weeks, as I received that wisdom, was that it completely and utterly transformed my life. I started to give generously, and I can say that that teaching I received changed my life as, almost as much as anything else I have ever heard in church. It opened up for me huge areas of possibility and opportunity. And that's why I, I will say today, if you want to increase your impact, if you want to step into all God has for you, you have to offer to God the whole area of your attitude to money and see what he has to say about it. So we're going to read this wonderful passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 1173 of the Bibles which will be in the chairs around you. We're starting at verse 6. It'll also be on the screens. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. First thing this passage tells us is that God wants to increase your love. You might have been sitting there thinking, well, why why does God talk about money so much in the scriptures? Well, it's not because he thinks money is more important than everything else, or he cares a huge amount about money. It's because he cares about you. And he knows that one of the most important things about you is your attitude towards money. Money is intertwined with every aspect of our lives. It affects our decisions on a daily basis. It affects the kind of relationships we have. It affects our lifestyle. Actually, your attitude towards money is one of the most revealing things about you. It tells you your unspoken passions, your priorities, your hopes, your fears. It even reveals what or who you love. And because God loves you, this passage tells us he's given you an indescribable gift. It's it's not a present, it's a person. Jesus Christ, sent for you, given for you, made himself nothing for you, suffered, died, and rose again for you. Do you know, Jesus literally took my sin on his shoulders and paid the price to buy me, to win me for God. It says in Romans, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him give us all things? 
And to understand this whole area, it's really important to realize that every good thing in your life is a gift from God. Everything. Yeah, I know you worked hard for it. I know you used your skill set and you used your giftings and you used your talents and you used your intelligence and you used the opportunities that came your way. You made good connections. But who gave those things to you? Who put them in you? Who upheld you when you were flying and doing brilliantly? And who protected you when you were at risk of falling? And could have lost everything. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. There's no such thing as a self-made person. It's all gift. And one of the key questions in life which we all have to answer is what are you going to do with the assets, the skills, the gifts which have been entrusted to you for a relatively short period of time? How are you going to respond to those gifts? When, when I went to university, I met, I met this uh, girl called Beth, and I felt like I was slightly punching out of my league with her, if I'm honest. She was, she was very beautiful. Uh, she was very intelligent. She came from a really smart background. None of those things particularly applied to me. And, um, and, and so, but to my amazement, we actually started going out. And we, 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 it was amazing. And, and we would kind of, you know, hang out together and write each other little notes and cards and things like that. And after about six months... I got a card from her which stopped me dead in my tracks. I was actually slightly shocked and a tiny bit terrified. It had something written in it which I hadn't expected to see. Just three words. I love you. Now, I thought that was a little bit complicated. Now, I mean, looking back, it might be that I, I had a little bit of a fear of commitment, which is unusual for a 20-year-old guy. But, I, but love seemed like such a big word. And it wasn't like she'd just written love from Beth or lots of love Beth. She'd written, I love you. And the thing is, when someone says, I love you, it, it kind of implies that you might respond in a reciprocal way. Uh, it's, you kind of have to think quite carefully about what you say in response. If someone says, I love you, you can't just say, thanks. <laughs> or, that's, that's really nice of you to say that. That's not going to cut it. Trust me, it's not going to cut it. And I was wrestling with how I might respond to this. And we went to an art gallery. And... An art gallery was not kind of a normal place I'd hang out, but I was putting on quite a good show to impress Beth. And so I stood a kind of respectful distance away from the painting. I kind of tilted my head. I kind of furrowed my brow. I looked carefully as though I could discern the kind of what the painter was trying to communicate through the particular brushstrokes he'd put on this canvas, like the deeper meaning was evident to me. And I'd nod sagely at these paintings. And I thought like I was doing okay. And then I came across one painting, which I just thought was beautiful. I was completely captivated by it. And I just found myself staring at this painting for quite a while. I managed to find a picture of it. Here it is. And I just thought it was beautiful. And I was looking at this painting, just thinking, wow, that that really is remarkable. And then Beth said to me, why don't you get it? 
I'd never been in an art gallery where you could actually buy the art. And so I kind of leaned forward to see, oh, there was a price tag. And I looked at uh, the price tag, and I almost had a heart attack. I was like, are they pounds? Like, how, many of, how much of this art gallery do you get for that sum of money? It was more money than I had on me, more than I had in my bank account, more money than I'd had if I sold all my possessions, all my little brother's possessions. There was, there was no way I could afford that painting. And, and, but you know how it is? Sometimes you go into a really expensive luxury shop and they don't, they don't make their labels obvious and you kind of dig around for the label on like an item of clothing or something and then you look at it and, and, and you, you actually are terrified at how much it is. But you don't want to let the shop know that you're not in that league. So you kind of like make an expression as if to say, huh, so Surprised it's so cheap. And, <laughs> and so that was the face I tried to put on as I turned around to Beth and just kind of shrugged as if to say, well, maybe not today. <laughs> maybe another day I'll buy it. And uh, we went away. But actually, I, I thought about that painting a lot in the weeks that followed. And I thought, you know, maybe one day, when I'm earning a lot of money as a lawyer, maybe I would be able to afford a painting like that. And then one day, actually, I came back to my student room and there was a parcel in the room. And I kind of came to this parcel and I picked it up and I realised it was from Beth. And I was kind of unwrapping this parcel. Like, what, is, what has Beth got me? It's such a strange size. And to my absolute shock and astonishment, inside the parcel was the painting... <laughs> From the gallery. And as I looked at this painting, my first thought was, did she steal it? I mean, I had been out with some girls who that was... <laughs> but then I thought, like, that's, this must have cost her so much. I mean, she was a student. She didn't have much income. She didn't have much resource. She must have had to go into her savings. I was thinking, how much she much? And my second thought was... She actually does love me. I, I mean, it's one thing to see it written down. It's another thing to hear it. But it's a very different thing to see the unmistakable, undeniable evidence of it right in front of your eyes. And it had the strangest thing. As I saw the significance of that gift, it changed my heart. It sparked something in me. And I suddenly realized, actually, I do love her. Why am I so worried about this word? Of course I love her. I saw the love that had motivated her to give me this remarkable, significant gift. And I wanted to respond in love to her. I wanted to respond in generosity back to her. The truth is, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. God loves a generous giver because God is a generous giver. God doesn't care about money. He cares about your heart. He wants to know that he has your whole heart. He wants to know that he has your love. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And sometimes that's difficult to work out. I, I've, I've, for a number of years, I found it actually quite easy to sing songs in church. After a while, once I got over the awkwardness factor, I could even lift my hands in worship. But I found it much harder to put my hand in my wallet in worship. And I would say, well, God's the most important thing in my life. But if you looked at my bank statement, it told a very different story. And if you want to know what you really value, look at your bank statement. It doesn't lie. And I needed, realized I needed to reorder my heart. Somehow money had got a kind of grip on my heart. And even though I was earning far more than I had ever hoped, 
I just kept saying, oh, well, when I'm earning more, then I'll be generous. When I'm earning more, then I'll be generous. When I'm as rich as that person, no one ever feels rich. There's always someone richer. When I'm as rich as that person, then I'll be generous. But if I wasn't faithful with a little, why would I be faithful with a lot? What I needed to do, you, you cannot refocus your heart without reframing your finances. Then it kind of frees your heart to express your love. And I found I had to give an act of trust in the one who had entrusted me with everything, who has shown himself to be trustworthy, enabled me to reorientate my heart, increase my love and demonstrate it towards God. Increase your love. But then also make room for increase. Some of you more commercially minded, you're sitting there right now thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to be an angel investor in this enterprise, tell me about the dividend. What's the yield? What's the growth projection? What's the long-term forecast? And they're really good questions, actually. And the answer to them is in this passage. In the same way you will sow, you will reap. Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow generously will reap generously. You'll be made rich in every way, Paul writes, so that you can be generous on every occasion. He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed. Now the truth is, God gives you, God gives you seed capital in the first place. Puts it into your hand. And one of the choices you've got is what are you going to do with that? Are you going to sow it? Seed is there to be sown. If it's sown, it can multiply and have an impact on many people's lives. Or are you going to grip it tightly? And lots of the messages we hear every day would tell us to grip it tightly. But the thing is, if you grip it tightly, there's a real problem. Now, if you grip your seed tightly, it doesn't just impact you. If you grip your seed tightly, you can't sow it. There's no way you can sow it if you're holding it tightly. But also, there's no room for increase. If God wants to bless you, there's no way. It can get, he can put it in your hands. Seed is there to be sown. But once you sow it, he can increase your store of seed, and then you sow it, and then you sow it, just waiting for the sign from the vergers that they're getting nervous, <laughs> and you can sow it. Seed is there to be sown. It's there to be sown. That's all God's. And it's not, it doesn't put in your hands so that you can count it or hold it closely or make yourself feel better. It's there to be sown. Seed is there to be sown. And it's an act of trust. But the promise is that when we sow seed, God multiplies it 30, 50, 100 fold. And I, I just sense some of you today might feel oh, I've got a particular call to earn a lot of money and give a lot of money. And that's great if you feel that way. But the way that starts is by giving out of what you have now. J.D. Rockefeller said he would never have given out of his first million dollars if he hadn't given out of his first paycheck, which was just a few dollars. Give out of what you have now. And sometimes people get a bit confused over this whole area. Sow and reap, sow and reap. And they think that it's like the passage is saying, oh, well, you know, if, if you give to God, then he will make you a multi-millionaire. That's not what the passage is saying. He'll make you rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And the way I like to understand this is I've got a very good friend who lives in East London. And he had a very difficult upbringing. And he actually 
by the time he was 20, in his 20s, he'd tried every kind of drug, and he just felt lost. And I met him on Alpha, and what had happened was that he, while he was high on a drug, he had just felt God break into him, and he just suddenly cried out, Jesus, I need you in my life. And he came to faith, and then he went and he led his partner to faith, and together they decided they should get married. And so they started going to church, they started saving up money for their wedding. And then about three weeks before their wedding, he woke up one day and he just thought, do you know what? I should give that money to the church. I think I should invest it in the church. And so he did that. And then he went home and told his fiance. And uh, they had one of those difficult conversations you have every now and again as a couple. And uh, he was in a fix, he would say. He was in a fix. And so he's riding home on his motorbike through East London. And he's a massive guy. He can handle himself. And he suddenly saw that he was kind of praying God, would you help me? God, I need your help. And he suddenly saw an armed robbery taking place in front of him. He saw two armed robbers run out of a bank and jump in the getaway car. And he thought, I ain't having that. So he revved up his bike and started chasing them through the streets of East London. And eventually they took a wrong turn and went into a dead end. And he managed to come up behind them in his motorbike and block them in. So they were stuck in this uh, dead end. And then he got off his bike. He walked around to the front driver's window of the getaway car, knocked on the window, and they kind of wound down the window, and he put his hand into the car, and he said, give me the money. Now, this is quite difficult if you're an armed robber, because you don't normally plan on getting robbed on the way back from an armed robbery. And they're so shocked, they just take the money and put it in his hand. And he picks it up, walks back to his motorbike, gets on, and drives off. Amazing. Don't worry, the story doesn't end there. Um, (laughs) And he rode all the way back to the bank, walked in, armed police everywhere, walks into the middle of the bank, plonks the money down in front of the bank manager and says, there's your money, I went and got it for you. And the bank manager is so like, kind of overwhelmed with gratitude, he gives him a reward which covers the cost of his entire wedding. Now, he is never going to be wealthy in the world's eyes. He's okay, but he's not wealthy. But he can tell you a story of God's miraculous material provision in his life. But he can also tell you a story of the spiritual riches he has received from God. Peace and joy and love overflowing in his life, the life of those around him. I can tell you about the hundreds of lives he has influenced in East London. Lives changed, lives transformed. If you sow, you will reap. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. You know, actually, secular studies are starting to show that this is better for you. The Harvard Business School did, did, did research into how to make people happy. And most people accumulate money or spend money in a bid to find happiness. And what they found was that the most efficient, most effective way of making yourself happy with money was to take your money and to give it away. So much so that the equation was roughly for every 500 pounds you give away, it's equivalent to the feeling of happiness you get when you receive or spend 10,000 pounds. You could try that with your boss tomorrow. (laughs) Boss, do you want to feel like you've just uh, won 10k? Yes? Give me 500 pounds. Ta-da! 
But it's true. Do you know, I, it was a good feeling when I earned my first £100,000. Not when I was a pastor, I hastened to. <laughs> when I was a lawyer. But it was nothing compared to the feeling I felt when I gave my first £10,000. That felt completely and utterly different. But still... There's a barrier. Even though we feel like this is better for us, better for everyone, there, there can still be a bit of a barrier. And Paul, in this letter, is pleading with the church of Corinth, telling them, don't miss out, don't miss out. As their pastor, he desperately doesn't want them to miss out on this opportunity. He knows it's best for them. And I found that even though I, I knew this was the right thing to do, I found there were lots of kind of barriers which stopped me from doing it. Firstly, I'd say, well, I'm not sure this is the right time. You know, maybe next week or next month or next year or in 10 years or when I'm really, really rich then. And... But, but I just found I was kidding myself. If I wasn't faithful with a little, why would I be faithful with a lot? And do you know the best time to give is when you receive? Do you know the second best time to give is now? Don't miss out. And then I thought, well, how much? How much should I give? And it was a genuine question. Maybe lots of your genuine question. I heard about tithing. And tithing, if you don't know about it, is this Old Testament principle that you give the first 10% of your income to God. And we're not under law, but Jesus you know, refers to tithing, approves of tithing. But he doesn't stop there. He maximizes the concept of tithing. He says, give all of yourself to God. It's not like tithing minus, it's tithing plus. Tithing isn't... The, the, the kind of ceiling, it's the floor. And I know uh, there's been times in my life when tithing has been deeply sacrificial. And there's been times in my life when I could tithe and not even notice it had left my account. But what I have found is that if I start with that as the aim, I often surpass it. Whereas if I just leave it vague, I always come in lower. And I found that when I give, I really enjoy it and want to do more. And then I said to, I, I thought, oh, this is such a complex area. I went up to my pastor in East London and said, oh, so complex. He said, what do you mean? I said, oh, tithing or more than tithing. Is it this calendar year or this financial year? Is it income or capital? You know, all these difficult questions. And he said, Stephen, are you asking what's the least you can give and still be a generous giver? And I was like, yes. Oh. oh. But when I started to give, I realized it was something I wanted to do, wanting to build on. And then I'd say, well, why the church? Why should I give to the church? But you know, there's no one else apart from us and a few other people who are ever going to give to this church. And then God showed me afresh the beauty of the church, that the local church is the hope of the world. It's God's plan for the salvation and transformation of the nations. There is no plan B. And then to be at this church, to just... To just be at the church which happens to have birthed this global ministry, Alpha, which has changed the lives of countless millions of people around the globe. Do you know right now, in refugee camps in the Middle East, where people have fled from Syria and Iraq, running from people who would like to see them dead, who would like to see Christianity wiped off the face of the map, in those refugee camps, right now there are Alpha courses running and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not just over there, separate from us, disconnected from us. You have a part in it. You have an investment in it. You have a stake in it. And that's the sort of thing I want to give to And then the final thing is I, I kind of look around. 
And I think, I'm not sure the church needs my money. It seems to be ticking along okay. And sometimes that's because my income would be quite small. And I think even if I stretch, the, the sums I can give seem so small in context of the figures. And actually sometimes it was because my income was so disproportionately large, I thought I might swamp the church with my finances. <laughs> I didn't want to give it a whole new set of problems. It's a particular word for you, whether your income is small or great. Your spiritual need to give money to the church is far greater than the church's financial need to receive it. Your spiritual need to give is far greater than the church's financial need to receive it. That's true if your income is very small or very large. Don't miss out. There's a spiritual element to all of this. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. And it's a spiritual battle which is also going on the whole time. And if you give, it's a win-win. It's a win for you because your heart is set free and you're released into all God has for you. It's a win for the kingdom because resources are released to help the kingdom of God advance. Don't miss out. But then also, if you want to increase your impact, take this opportunity today. Do you know there's a huge potential for us to impact this city? Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Like, how can my giving make a difference? I don't really see the impact of it. I don't see the fruit. You might feel it's invisible, hidden, but let me tell you, it's invaluable. And God promises to multiply. And I've experienced that. Someone gave to our church in Luton when I was a child so we could have children's ministry at our church. So I could learn about Jesus. I don't know who those people were. Do you know we have over 500 children here? At HDB, just think of the potential impact they could make with their lives. When I was 17, I, I, I felt like my friends wanted me to live in one way and God wanted me to live another way. I felt like I was being torn in two. Someone gave so we could have a youth worker at our church who came alongside me, invested in me, saw God's hand on me when I felt like a failure and a fraud. I don't know who those people are. When I was at university, I hung on to my faith by my fingertips. I almost lost it. But for a student ministry at our church in Oxford, people gave to that. I don't know who they are, but I tell you, if that student ministry wasn't there, I don't think I would be standing here today. Do you know, this week, tens of thousands of students are moving into London. Think of the potential impact we could have. You know, 20s and 30s, wrestling with how to live for Jesus where they have been planted. Caring for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed. Strengthening marriages. This is all happening. And not only that. You know, our city needs to know the love of Jesus. We all have friends and family and colleagues who would long to know to come to faith. It's so easy to take for granted what we have received. Be complacent about people coming to know Jesus, but it matters. People's eternal destiny is at stake. And this term, we will have hundreds and hundreds of people right here from outside the church coming on Alpha And there'll be hundreds of people coming to faith before the end of this year. It matters. I think of just one guy who's in church today, right here, Matt. He 
He, he used to work on super yachts. I think I've got a photo of him next to one of these super yachts. Might be one of your super yachts, actually. And, um, he, uh, and he would travel around on these super yachts. And, and sometimes, I'm sure it's not one of yours, because the super yachts he was on, quite unpleasant things would happen. And when he came into port, he would just long to find some kind of spiritual connection. So he'd walk around the port just, just trying to find a church he could lay a hand on as a sign of some kind of connection to a God he didn't even understand who it was. And then he came, moved back to London to found a business. And he came on Alpha last term, completely outside the church. And he came to faith last term on Alpha, placed his trust in Jesus Christ. This is Matt today. That's not a, that's not a vicar's collar. Um, we haven't ordained him just yet. Um, but but I, I got a text off Matt just a week ago. He's walking down the road and he said, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, go and knock on number 43 and tell them that God loves them. And he kind of wrestled with it for a few minutes and then eventually he went and did it. And this guy just kind of smiled and said, thank you. He wasn't, Matt wasn't even in church three, four months ago. Just think of the potential impact of his life on his friends, on his family. Think of the potential impact of the hundreds of people coming to faith this term on their friends, on their family, on this city. And then through the generations, people gave, though they had never met me, didn't know my name, had no idea what I would spend my life doing. They invested in my life. I will never meet them this side of heaven. But I tell you what, I can't wait to go up to them in heaven and to say thank you. Thank you for giving, though you didn't know what the impact would be. Thank you for giving and trusting God to multiply and use it and increase the impact of your giving. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can give anyone in this world is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And if you give today, you are playing a part. You have a role in introducing people to Jesus Christ. You might never meet those people, but one day, one day you will. And you'll see the chain reaction. The people their lives have influenced. The people those people's lives have influenced. Just think what is possible. And we could be anywhere. It's not an accident you're here today. It's not an accident that we are placed where we are, at the center of a strategic global city, at an international crossroads in the heart of London. Just think what is possible here. As thousands of people come to place their trust in Jesus Christ. You know, one day on the final day, lots of things that loom so large today will fade away like shadows at daybreak. Relatively few things will matter. Invest in those things. You know, they, 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 it came a point for me where I suddenly realized, I thought, I don't want to lean back anymore on days like these. Whether my impact can be small or large, whether my income is ability to give is small or great, I want to know what the figure is. I want to know what's asked of me. Because, do you know what? It's my time. It's my generation. It's my opportunity, my responsibility to contribute to what God is doing in this city. I don't want to see the church take a step back in my generation, not on my watch. Tell me what I can do. I want to lean in. I want to step up to the plate. And we could see thousands of people come to faith in Christ. We could see this city transformed with the love of Jesus. We could see the name, the precious name, the powerful name, the saving name of Jesus lifted high in this church, in this city, and in this nation, and around the world. Will you give your all? Will you join with us?
In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Bear Grylls. My favorite way to start the day, the Bible in one year. That's how wild I am. Find out more at BibleInOneYear.org or download the Bible in One Year app.